Sox fans, and welcome into episode 129, season 4, episode 10 of the Canucks Speak Easy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, let's get right into the game flight. Canucks hosted the Florida Panthers for the Hall of Fame game. A beautiful ceremony honoring Roberto Luongo and the Sedin Twins. And that was pretty much the only highlight of the night. The Canucks lose 5-1 and Thatcher Demko goes down with an injury. Gets a little better on a Saturday night. Canucks at home to host Coyotes and the Canucks win in overtime, which has become a bit of a theme. Bo Horvat with two and the slightly maligned Brock Besser with the, the goal as well. Hughes and Petey with a couple helpers. I'm going to have to take a deep breath for this game. You got this. The Canucks hosted the Montreal Canadiens and ended up with a 7-6 victory. The Canucks saw themselves down four goals after the first, slowly clawed their way back with two in the second, and then four goals in the third to eventually get the game to overtime where they won it in overtime. Elias Pettersson had a three-point night, and Andrew Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev each had two points as well. I got to take a bit of a breath for this one, too. The Canucks go down to California to play the Sharks for a mini one-game road trip. Back and forth affair that goes into overtime where, once again, Petey wins it for the Canucks. He also had a helper. Similar stat line for Coos. Dakota Joshua, really one of the stories of this game, almost had the hat trick, gets two goals in a fight. Uh, OEL and Bo Horvat also with a couple of helpers. And another wild affair for the Canucks for their third straight overtime win. Um, geez, yeah, that's a three-in-one game flight. Doug, that's a, that's a little more like it. Yeah, I mean, I think the game that most Canuck fans wanted to see a good showing would have been the Hall of Fame game against the Florida Panthers. But, you know, the two points are the two points. And you don't draw wins up like the win they had against the Montreal Canadiens or even last night's win against the San Jose Sharks up like that, but you'll take it. And we were at that uh, Hall of Fame game as well. Shout out to Riot Survivor who joined us. And I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Jeremy Barramy, who I watched the game with when I was down in LA this weekend. We watched uh, the Canucks Coyotes game at a pub down there. So couple of shout outs to people who put up with us and watch sports ball with us awesome and yeah pete i mean how was your trip to la i saw you were also at the seahawks rams game last sunday as well yeah that was that was awesome and sofi stadium is nuts and i know it's thursday night we're recording this on thursday the 8th and the thursday nighter is also in sofi stadium uh so getting some flashbacks from it but but, uh that was the highlight of the trip down to la was seeing the seahawks play on the road first time i've ever done that is get to see the seahawks play on the road uh yeah that stadium is something else that scoreboard is just ridiculous i've never seen anything like it uh it's just such a cool design they've done a really good job with uh the concourses and having food and drink everywhere and never really having to wait too long i will say though man beer's expensive i was going with the giant 
Bud Light cans because, well, what you know, you're at a football game in the states, but also that more economical at 13 U.S. dollars as opposed to the craft beers, which were between 19 and 23 dollars U.S. for a beer. I was just like, damn, man, yeah, wow, not not cool. So, um. But anyways, besides that, had some really good tacos at the game, too. I'm like, well, in L- and when in L.A., one of my other highlights, they have a mariachi band, uh, like a big 12-piece mariachi band at the Rams games, which I thought was super fitting, and I loved that. That was one of the highlights for me is they played at least once a quarter. It's the Rams mariachi band, and they'd come on and play some songs. I was just like, ah, oh, this is so L.A. It's it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, good time, man. Hit some breweries, record stores, runs, all the things I like to do in a city. Saw some friends. Um, just, uh, yeah, first time being down in the States since uh, the pre-COVID times. Nice, man. And none of your brewer friends gave you shit for drinking uh, Bud Light? I mean, it's still a beer, right? Uh, I would I would probably give me shit, but uh, but at the same note, it's it's the most affordable option in that I had a lot of other craft beers, but you know, when you're at a, a football game in America, Bud Light just kind of seems fitting at times, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree, especially if you're tailgating or at like a college game. I will say this though, I mean, twenty U.S. dollars for a craft beer at a game—that's that's what like twenty-seven Canadian right now with the current exchange. Uh, I think even more, and and then you got a tip on it, right? So you get in the option. Let's say you got a twenty three dollar beer, and then you add on like even a fifteen percent tip, and then all of a sudden it's like a twenty seven dollar beer, and then when you convert that, it's almost like a forty dollar beer you just got. So yeah, I I just stuck with a, a couple of the Bud Lights. Uh, how was your week though? Uh, you know, honestly, it's been pretty quiet. Uh, just head down working. Uh, I'm planning to take tomorrow off, so a nice. You know, three-day long weekend for me, which I can really use. And yeah, other than that, you know, I've just been uh, kind of nerding out on some like cocktail videos on YouTube and you know, learning how to make an, an oleo sacrum and yeah, just nerding out with stuff like that. Uh, that's fun. I, I a couple of years ago, I was really got really into cocktails, and I still am. I got a nice little liquor cabinet for it, but uh, I, I haven't quite gotten myself fully back into them yet i mean just kind of more beers and whiskeys but tis the season for cocktails absolutely is and uh i bought myself a nice little shaker like i said i'm, I'm making an, a pineapple oleo sacrum at the moment and yeah i'm looking for some christmas cocktails in the next week or two uh tis tis the season um We've got lots coming up on this episode. As per usual, we've got uh, Brendan coming on to do his segment. Um, Dan, we've had some technical issues with, so we may not have Dan on here. It's a it's a long story, uh, but uh, we may not have Dan this week. Hope maybe if he gets one in last minute here, we will have him on. Um, and lots of lots of Canucks talk as per usual um before we get into the canucks though doug uh let's just talk kind of quickly about alex ovechkin because we talk about ovechkin quite a bit on this podcast i mean we're we're over three years or so into doing this podcast and ovechkin and his goal hunt i think has come up since our podcast's infancy but it's had a kind of a remarkable number now well we also went to the washington game with the larshiders uh, and we mm-hmm. saw Ovechkin score two goals in person, which was amazing. And yeah, I believe Ovechkin had two empty net goals last night. 
and he is exactly, as of recording this episode, which happens to be Thursday at 6.08 p.m. Pacific time, he is exactly 99 goals behind Wayne Gretzky for the all-time goal lead in the NHL. Incredible. Isn't that like it's it's there's a few other things that are kind of incredible. He's first of all, it's 795 goals that he's at now. So he's going to become the third player ever to hit 800 goals. Gordie Howe's 801. Uh, That sticks in a lot of Canucks fans heads because what happens uh, with Wayne Gretzky is he just breaks all his records against the Canucks. And 802 was one of those games uh, as well. That was the game where they they stopped everything. Uh, and Gretzky went on to 894. He just finished shy of 900 goals. But Ovi right now, it's looking like he's going to pass Gordie Howe as well this season, which is amazing. Uh, and just like... That's I, I just still find that so incredible that Ovi, even with the time missed with lockouts, is going to pass Gordie Howe for most goals and do it in probably about 400 fewer games. Well, not even just lockouts. And obviously Ovi's, I believe, been through two in his career, but also a shortened COVID season that Ovi missed, what, probably 30 games, I think, were cut from that shortened COVID season. So it's absolutely incredible. I think he is going to break Gretzky's goal record, but even for whatever reason, let's say he doesn't actually get to 896. I still believe Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer in the NHL history. And he's, he's right up there and he's proven it. You know, like I remember Brett Hall was probably the best I'd seen for a long time in terms of just putting up gaudy numbers and so he's a guy that I always had right up there Gretzky just did everything right Uh, but I always think Gretzky's more of an assist guy even though he has the most goals all time but there's never quite been a player like uh, Ovechkin I'm I'm rooting for him I want to see this happen and it's just cool to see great sports stories right like they don't come along like you know even Aaron Judge this year right like you know I just like seeing these stories when I don't really have an emotional interest. Like if Gretzky had played for the Canucks, uh, then maybe I'd have a, a different feeling about it. But I just like seeing cool stories. And this is certainly a cool one. I think when Ovi hits 800 and 801 and 802, that's really going to put the spotlight even further on him because then the only guy ahead of him in his, in his sights is Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was way before my era, but I think of Hank Aaron beating Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. 755 and then when he hit 756 it was just a massive massive achievement and so historic for all those who got to watch it during the time it was happening and I feel like we're gonna see that over the course of the next two and a half seasons is what I would gauge Ovi to break Gretzky's record you know we're gonna be counting down the goals goal by goal by goal until he hit breaks the record which is amazing I also want to give a shout out to uh Tage Thompson last night who had what five goals four in the first period uh I don't think anyone saw the kind of season or the kind of player Tage Thompson has become coming nobody I know when the Buffalo Sabres signed him to that extension last year everybody was criticizing that contract and at that time rightfully so but for whatever reason this kid has found another level I don't know what his off-season routine was this year 
But whatever he was doing, maybe he was training with Dave Roberts. I know that's something you would always look at when drafting your players for your hockey pool. But Or sorry, Gary Roberts, not Dave Roberts. Um, but man, Tage Thompson deserves a shout out as well. For sure. I got him on my hockey pool uh, this year and I knew he was going to be good. I thought he'd be about a 70 point player uh, this year, but he's pacing to be way above that. And that's uh, the second time this year I think he's put up four or more goals in a game already. Yeah, I, 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 a lot of people on Twitter were last night were like, oh, thank God uh, Save on Foods is probably thankful that he doesn't play for a Pacific uh, a Pacific Canadian team right now or a Western Canadian team because they have that, what is it, five goals, you win a million bucks or something like that, score and win? I think it's a could, you could win a million bucks, but I think they've got something for four as well. That promo is just being around forever. It feels like, hey, quickly before we get into some more stuff, Going to put you on the spot here. So Alex Ovechkin obviously is the scored the most goals by any European player, but there are four Europeans behind him that he passed uh, along the way. Along, well, there's many more than that, but there's four the four guys that are right after him or close-ish to him can, that are Europeans. Can you name those four players uh, that two, three, four, and five on the European all-time goals list? Okay, I, I'm just going to name them as they, they come to me. Yep. This isn't necessarily like, oh, this was who he passed first, second, and third. So Yari Curry. Yeah, Curry is uh, third. Uh, or sorry, I guess he'd be fourth uh, behind Ovechkin. Yes. Timo Solani. Yeah, he's number three. And Yarmir Yager. He's number two. Isn't that three right there? You That's said three. three. But one more. Uh, did I? Okay, well, I mean, if oh, I was did, there I... four then? Yeah, I was I was trying to do the top five. I I didn't I I it's been one of those days. I didn't explain that very well. It's just like verbal gibberish diarrhea. <laughs> it just it's been it's been a I've had a day today, man. Just like so many things have gone wrong. But yeah, the one if you, the number the next guy to round out the top five, Fedorov. No, it's uh it's actually it's Matt Sundin. Ah, oh, Sundin. Yeah, okay, yeah. that makes and sense. And then Hosa, then Bondra. And uh, those are all the guys in the top 50. But well, Bondra's that high up on the all-time European goal list. I mean, I, I know he was a phenomenal. I believe he scored 50 goals at least once, maybe twice. But I'm surprised he was that high up. Peter Bondra, man, he was a great player. Uh, he did it twice. He had two 52-goal seasons. But he's kind of got a bunch of other 40s, kind of like a Mike Gartner kind of player uh, until the very end of his career when he's had some injuries catch up to him. But yeah, he, uh, he put up, uh, he put up a ton of points. I always liked him because uh, he's one of the first good players named Peter. So, uh, I always <laughs> have a soft spot for that. Well, I mean, Peter Stastny. Yeah, but he was, that's one of the first Peter Stastny was, uh, was my first favorite Peter. And that's why I like Petri Skrico as well. Um, we're kind of rambling a bit here. Like I said, it's been one of those days. Um, but uh, we should uh, just tell people where they can find us online. I'm at Pete underscore gas on Twitter. And the podcast is at Canuck Speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. Another funky jam will be getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode. Again, I promise we're going to talk Canucks here in just a sec. We're going to get into Brendan's segment very shortly here. But quickly, Doug, you edited the last episode. Tell us about the outro track. Yeah, so I picked a, a Canadian band, actually, a really cool, kind of like a garage rock revival band uh, called King Kong and the Barbecue Show. And the song is called I Love You So. And 
yeah, man, it's just, it's a really cool, catchy, kind of bluesy soul song, and I actually thought it worked really, really well with the outro last week, and it literally, it was just the right amount of music to fit into the outro segment, and yeah, I mean, that's about it. They're they're a Canadian band. They've been around since the early 2000s, and if you ever get a chance to see King Kong or King Kong and the Barbecue Show, which was the song that I used for the outro, because there are two different, King Kong's his own person, and then King Kong and the Barbecue Show are like another separate entity, so to speak. But if you ever get a chance to see either of them, definitely check it out. Yeah, I liked it. It was something uh, a little bit different there. It had uh, all sorts of different elements, and uh, it's a nice addition to the playlist. Brings brings something a little different, right? Exactly. You know, and I know you've used the Clash on a couple of uh, outro or one outro at least. And, you know, that's obviously different than what we usually do. We usually lean more into like the funk, soul, hip hop kind of thing. But it's nice to throw a bit of a rock track here and there when you can. For sure. I, yeah, I wouldn't even necessarily call that rock. It's like a hybrid of stuff, but it definitely works. Uh, I really liked it. Uh, so nice work with that one. All right. Let's get into the uh, the ever-changing segment that we do with Brendan. We're now calling it Jabbering with Jabbo, right? Yes. And I think we should give a shout out to Bird, also known as at underscore Blue Heron underscore on Twitter. Uh Really, really supportive to the podcast that you and I do, and he was the one that suggested the Jabbering with Jabbo as the segment title, and so shout out to, to them. And that's for now, at least, that'll that'll be the name of this segment, and let's get into it. Let's hear what Brendan's got to say about the Canucks this week. Just a bit outside. Welcome back. I'm your friend, Brendan, a.k.a. Jabo, Jabo, whatever you want to call it. Um, an interesting week for the Canucks. A lo- some frustration. Some happiness. A lot of entertainment, though, and we can all agree on that. I mean, there were a few, the, the last couple of games have been as entertaining of hockey as you'll find. Um, but if we're looking at process, which has mainly been my focus outside of my fandom, obviously. You know, you can't be overly happy with what you've seen just because, I mean, the sustainability of going down 4 nothing and coming back to win hockey games is just it's not going to happen. And, you know, again, in San Jose, the continued, continual blowing of two-goal leads and then another lead in the third period only to come back. Um, as much as you appreciate the resiliency that this team has showed, um, you know, I mean, you know that you know once once you're once you start facing better teams, that's not going to be quite as easy. Um, I want to discuss this notion uh, that this team can't be taught to be better defensively. Um, we know this team can score, and they're scoring close to four goals. I wouldn't be surprised after the last couple games. You're getting darn near close to four goals a game since they won their first game in Seattle. This team can score. Their power play fantastic. The the amount of wrinkles that they can throw at you, pretty fantastic. Um, I just can't wrap my head around, and I and I will not let somebody tell me that this team is not built to play well defensively. I just I don't believe that. I've never believed that because 
I've seen other teams, teams that were just as bad defensively, bring in a coach with the defensive system and were able to pick it up and become better defensively. Now, it's going to sound like I'm blaming Bruce Boudreaux, and I'm not going to blame Bruce, because really, Bruce Boudreaux, we knew who he was as a coach, so he really isn't a bad coach. He's just the right coach at the wrong time. And you look back at his history. You look back at who he coached prior. I mean, we'll leave Washington out of it, but his two previous spots before coming to Vancouver, uh, he went to um, Anaheim. And who did he take over from Anaheim? It was Randy Carlisle. Defense first, structurally sound coach. Very intense. Um, Not necessarily a player's coach. So it made sense you go to Bruce Boudreaux after that course you know he's going to open it up a very you know a player friendly coach more offensive minded so you can go to a coach like that knowing that that structural structure and that defense that was implemented by the previous coach will never necessarily go away he then goes to minnesota who did he take over from in minnesota well it's current canucks assistant coach mike yo again defensive oriented structure Um, Not necessarily a player's coach. And again, it makes sense. You go to Bruce Boudreaux, open things up a bit. But knowing again that that defensive structure is always there. In Vancouver, Travis Green, the exact opposite of Randy Carlo and Mike Yo. No defensive structure whatsoever. And I fight back at anybody who says he tried to. Because go back through... Travis Green's tenure as a coach, everywhere he's been, whether it's been in junior, whether it was in Utica or in Vancouver, structure was never what he was as a coach. X's and O's defensively wasn't what he was. So the idea that you're going to, that he's going to be able to then, oh, magically to coach a system that he's never coached before is a slap in the face to the guys out there who have put in the time who have been capable of doing it. So I've saying this, and I'll say this again. This regime is going to be putting in place a coaching staff, whether it be in the new year or going into next season, that will, for the very first time in a lot of this core group's history, dependent on who's still around, because I do think deals should and will be made, this team's going to be taught defensive structure. And I don't think that necessarily has to be boring hockey. It's just getting these guys on the same page in their own end. And hell, you know what? If that means they have to sit back every once in a while to remind themselves, hey, the 2011 team did that. Elaine Vigneault was very smart and he understood there were times where that team would get out of control. And what he would do, what he would do is he would rein them back in. Getting, almost getting them trapping till he felt like they were playing well enough defensively that he could then unleash them again, where that system, that structure was back in place. And I fully believe that this team, current team, is capable of the same thing. Because I don't, I don't, I never looked at the CDs and thought, oh, well, those guys are defensive stalwarts. They were, they were never that. Elaine Vigneault preached that to them and they bought in. And really, that to me is the big thing is getting that coach in place with that defensive pedigree, but also getting the players to buy in. Defensive hockey wins championships. And I've seen some, you know, you go back, and I did. I went back, you know, and looked at 
you know, particular coaches. You look at Claude Julien when he went to Boston, Elaine Vigneault when he went to when he became head coach of Vancouver, saw dramatic decreases in goals against. And it's important that this team learns that. And I fully I there's enough talent on this team. You know, these guys aren't dummies. They just need to be led. And this regime, I believe, understands that. And at some point, they're going to be bringing in their coach as they continue to mold this roster, because I do believe um, core pieces will be gone at some point. But, you know, this notion that this team can't play defensively, I mean, is based to me solely on absolutely nothing. There's no evidence that there's no evidence to show you that they can't because they've never been taught properly. They've never had a coach in place whose pedigree is defensive hockey, and that coach is coming. Whether that be Barry Trotz, Rick Tockett, or whoever, you don't win playing run and gun. And to those people that say this team was built to play run and gun, no, they're not. This this roster isn't a run and gun roster. Not even close. This, this team isn't a team that plays at a million miles an hour. Well, they don't. The, when this team plays out of control, that's when, they're, that's when they're their most vulnerable because they're not the fastest team in the world. So this is not a run-and-gun team. This is a team that needs to be taught structure. This team does not have a McDavid on it. it doesn't. It, I mean... Even on even a team like with a McDavid and a Drysaddle on it need to be taught to be how to play defensively, and they struggle at that too. So I continue to look for it. I continue to wait because at some point, you know, like it or not, Boudreaux is going to be let go. He's just not their guy. Doesn't mean he's a bad coach. Doesn't mean he's they're scapegoating him for what's going on. It just means this regime wants their guy in place to coach the way they see this team uh, go, the way they want this team playing going forward, and the the way they feel is the best to get to where they want to be, which is back to being a contender. Uh, all right. I think I've gone a couple of minutes over. I'm sure Pete and Doug are going to scold me, but I will be back next week. Um, you know, I mean, this team's back to 500. We'll see if they can keep going. I'm not sure, but we'll wait and see. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, that. I mean, you tell a guy to go like for five minutes or so and uh, they give you over eight. He's a heavy tipper. <laughs> but saying that, I think he uh, he brought up a lot of very, very good points uh, just about mm-hmm. coaching and learning to play defense and Travis Green, especially being a guy who didn't ever teach structure or try to teach any of his teams like Brennan said when he was coaching in juniors when he was coaching in 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 the AHL at Utica he never really he was very much an offense first kind of coach just like Bruce Boudreau is and right now across the league scoring is way up and it's amazing and you know it feels like the 80s but the teams that are actually ahead in the league they can also defend you look at the top teams in the league, you know, a Boston uh, is playing really, really well right now. Uh, obviously, Colorado's got a lot of injuries. Tampa Bay, a lot of these teams that are playing well this year, they can put up and score a ton of goals like the Canucks currently are, but they can also defend. And that's something the Canucks aren't doing. 
New Jersey as well. That's another one. Uh, that's yep. uh, and Winnipeg. There are a couple of teams doing well that uh, that are among the best in the league in goals against. Um, yeah, I mean, first, I love the emotion and uh, that that Brendan has with this. It's something that you know we've talked about process and and coaching with this team. Um, I, I I don't think a lot of fans expect Boudreaux to be back. Um, I'm a bit surprised still, which is kind of. You know how how it feels like the Canucks lost a lot of the the Boudreau bump, but that's what they needed last year was the Boudreau bump. Um, I don't think that he will be here long term, and I do think management is still going to bring in the, the right coach that they want. Uh, but defensive systems and structure is certainly apparent to it, it's it's an apparent issue to anyone who follows this team. I mean, it, it's I don't think anyone will deny that. But is this group? Uh, can this group? be coachable do you think like uh, and I know when you say that I think immediately a lot of people focus on the blue line for me it's not just the blue line it's the entire team all five skaters on the ice and and the goalie um do you think with this group right now though do you think if they brought in a different coach like a Rick Tockett or uh, a Barry Trotz or someone do you think that there's that defensive structure in them uh, yeah, I mean, I think defense, you can teach defensive awareness and defensive structure better than you generally can teach offense and offensive instincts. I mean, you said that the Canucks don't have that Boudreaux bump, but they're, they've won eight of their last 11 games and they're yeah. arguably one of the hottest teams in the NHL right now. The wins haven't been pretty or, you know, the way you would expect them to win, but they are playing well enough to get these wins. I do think if you brought in a, a coach that would teach them how to play defensively, Brendan brought up, you know, two names. Obviously, the big one is Trotz and the other one is Rick Tockett that I do think these players would learn that structure. They just need to commit to it. I know the defense gets a lot of the slack and, you know, gets a lot of the hate towards the team giving up these leads, but it's a lot of the forwards giving up bad passes that are causing two on ones going the other way. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the ramifications of the Demko injury, but Demko, he wasn't playing that lights out Demko that we've been used to seeing the past couple of years. And that also played into the fact that, you know, we're giving up leads as so, you know, a coach isn't really going to, a new coach isn't really going to help Demko in his struggles. Do I think, you know, putting in proper structure and, you know, when you're up two goals, not pushing for that third goal or not pushing for a fourth goal, it's like, hey, I'm not saying shut it down, but let's make our passes a little bit safer. Let's play a little bit smarter as opposed to run and gun the entire time. Yeah, I mean... I I, th I think so too. I think for me, zone exits uh, have always been a big one. Um, and errant passes this year, man, that's been killing uh, the Canucks. And I know JT Miller is the one that the Canucks uh, like to pick on, but he's not alone. I've seen it from uh, a number of different players too. Uh, I, I, it is a team thing. Uh, it is a structure thing. Um, this team has the skill offensively to win games but you're right as well like we, we, Demko bailed out the team a lot last year Demko was on a serious heater and was one of the top goalies in the league this year I mean he's out now but uh, he, there's no way that he was even near that or there's no way that the team was near that with uh, the way they were playing uh, I feel like 
Uh, the OEL Ethan Bear combo lately has been better. Um, I and I mean OEL is still pacing for about thirty-five points right now uh, too. Uh, and I think Ethan Bear is just—he's uh, been a welcome addition back there. Um, it's certainly a team though that just it, it's there's times where they just it, it almost seems like they don't think at times i guess is what is as what i'm where i'm going with this is i there's just you're like okay the game's flowing along and then there's a, there seems to always be every game at least one or two or at least one or two moments where you're like what the hell was that like what what, what was that pass who was that to what was that play why there's just always a couple of head scratching moments it's like where the players I wouldn't even say it's a panic it's almost just like a complete brain fart that happens a couple of times because process that Brendan likes to talk about and the coaching systems aren't fully ingrained in their the players heads at least that's what it feels like to me well and I think Brendan brought up a good point you went from Travis Green who was an offensive minded run and gun coach to Bruce Boudreaux who is probably a little bit more of a well not probably is more of a player-friendly coach, but he plays that same style and that same structure of game. And that's not what I think this team needed. I think when Travis Green left, sure, getting a more player-friendly coach might have been what the team needed at that time, but they needed a coach who coaches a different style and a different philosophy of game planning against your opponent. And just because you're playing more defensively in a more defensive structured game doesn't mean you still won't be scoring goals and you're still not going to be entertaining product to watch when you go to the game or when you're watching it on TV. And I think Brendan brought up a really good point that, you know, this team and this group, you know, on paper, and we said this even when they were struggling early in the year, it's like, and I've seen even some, you know, top media people and media personalities who, or have been very critical of this Canucks team, have said this team isn't as bad as how they've been playing to start this year. Structure has definitely been an issue. Um, maybe there's personality conflicts in the dressing room. Who knows? But I do think bringing in a coach that can teach some structure, can teach you how to play defense, because like Brennan said, man, defenses win championships, and that's pretty much a staple in every sport, whether that's basketball, football, hockey it's defense that generally wins your championships and right now this group of players if this is going to be the same group that they're going to continue to go with by all accounts it's looking that way because it's really hard to move money in the nhl right now they need someone who can come in and teach them how to play defense first instead of offense first so yeah i was gonna i was just gonna ask you about that the old adage of defense wins championships and we, i've seen a lot of articles and certainly the stat lines across the nhl support this about how the fact that scoring is is still up i'm just quickly scrolling through uh the list of top scorers here and the, the top 50 scorers and it, i believe there's about 45 players right now in the nhl who are over a point a game uh, at this 25-26 game mark, which is pretty impressive. Do you believe, Doug, that defense still wins championships? I do, because if you look at the teams that are at the top of the standings, sure, they are scoring you know, at an unreal pace like every team seemingly is across the league. But the teams that have the most success right now are the teams that can defend the best. And those are the top teams in the league. So, yes, I definitely think defense still wins championships. I mean, if you look at Colorado and you look at 
Tampa Bay, you know, the last, what, three cup champions, despite them all having incredible offensive talent, they have amazing defense play, defensive players as well. I mean, one of the reasons why Colorado was so good last year is they had so much depth on the back end. They had a couple of, you know, huge injuries during their playoff run, and they had all that depth defensively where, yes, obviously it, it affected them, but it didn't stop them from winning a championship. And Victor Hedman is probably, you know, the best defenseman we've seen since Nick Lidstrom, in my opinion. I know that's a bold statement, but... I mean, if you look at Hedman's resume, he's probably the best defenseman since Nick Lidstrom, in my opinion. He's uh, he's certainly up there. It's uh, it's it's tough to it's tough to argue that. Um, it's it's crazy. Like you know, even uh, like Tampa Bay right now, uh, like they in in Colorado. I know they've had injuries, obviously, but right now, like Tampa Bay's got a goals against average of three point one six on on the year. And Colorado is 2.92. Like, again, we're kind of hovering now around that three mark, which was during like the 90s. That was like, if you got below three as a team, that is considered to be very good. And you're in the Jennings conversation. Only 10 teams in the league right now have a team goals against below three, uh, which is which is pretty in- incredible. Now, two teams really leading the charge right now, Boston and New Jersey. In, in terms of goals against. And guess what? They're getting a ton of goals for as well. Boston is second in the league in goals for. They were first until Buffalo overtook them last night. Uh, I do think that defense still does. It just right now, it's it's a wide open game. And, it, and maybe it's more that teams just have to defend differently is what I'm getting at. In case people are wondering, the Canucks are third last in the league right now in, in goals against. But goals for, they're seventh. Uh, so, um, it, it's obviously that puts you in the middle of the pack when you're, you can, Hey, you can score the goals, but I guess if you, you can't defend, you're, you're not really going to go anywhere. And again, where the Canucks are defensively, it is, it is quite historically bad. Their penalty killing, their start all really plays heavily into this. I, I do think defense wins, but I'm just wondering, like, I, I do feel like there's a, a bit of a change in how teams are defending and just again to, to be at this point of the season and only have 10 teams in the NHL averaging below three goals against a game I find that really surprising yeah I mean I also think goaltending hasn't been as sharp this year as years previous I mean the Rangers are struggling this year and you know Shesterkin's still playing well but he's not playing you know at that level of like you know, peak Dominic Hasek or peak Patrick Waugh, you know? And and so I think goalies aren't as, they're not as dominant as they were maybe five, six, ten years ago. And I do think coaching has changed. And I think maybe this comes from ownership or, you know, across the league. I mean, obviously growing the game in the U.S., it's good for business to have high-scoring games. It's good for the NHL to grow in the U.S. and to have games that are, you know, nine seven eight four you you want more scoring and so i i do wonder if there's a shift in philosophy from coaches that are starting to try to coach a more offensive minded game than you know the jacques lemaire trap that we saw for a decade and a half with jersey and then minnesota you know i mean it led to a couple of stanley cups for jacques lemaire but it was a very boring style of hockey was it successful yes 
if the Canucks could win one Stanley Cup playing that system, I would sign up tomorrow to do oh. it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, but, uh, oh, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, but, you know, I think I think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing the game evolve into that more run-and-gun 80s style that we saw way back when. And I actually think it's... And I know there's an argument whether or not, you know, we we should care if the game grows in the U.S. or not. But I actually do think it's important that the game grows oh, in the U.S. Hell yeah, it's, it's probably important. better for the growth of the NHL for these games to be as high scoring as they've been. Yeah, I, I it's it's incredibly important. Uh, you mentioned Igor Shesterkin, 258 goals against average, 913 save percentage. Eh, that's decent. That's pretty good, right? He's he's still getting it done. Some uh, Connor Hellebuck, who's having a fantastic year though right now, and looks to me right now that he's he could be the Vesna winner. He's got 226 goals against and a 932 save percentage. Linus Olmark, a 182 goals against and a 939 save percentage. Like there are some goalies putting up big numbers. But again, like there's less shutouts. Uh, there's uh, you see a lot of guys like you know Jacob Markstrom right now, two ninety seven to eight eighty nine save percentage. You know that Tristan Jerry two seventy five goals against. That's a bit higher for him. Like it, it's uh, Jonathan Quick is. Uh, all, I mean, he, I know he's older, but he's got some pretty high balloon stats, and so does uh, Thatcher Demko, and thankfully Jordan Bennington and John Gibson does as well. But it's uh it's it's going to be interesting watching i think this next generation of players and and we're we're going to see a very talented draft class this year as as you know it's a very good draft uh, coming up i think we're going to see a bit of a change in the style of hockey and i wonder if i wonder if the canucks management is aware of that i wonder if that's something that they are thinking about you know is very curious that they went out and signed Ilya Mikheyev this year without really going into the blue line and signing anyone on the blue line I wonder if it's something they think about and how the game is changing and evolving uh, I'm sure they do but I'm just wondering how much it weighs into their current decision making yeah I mean Mikheyev has been really good is he overpaid probably for a winger in this market but he's been a you know easily their best two-way winger that the team has this year he's got nine goals on the year um i think he's pacing for was it 29 goals on the year which i think would be great and a very successful year for him and you need a mix of both right like you want to have guys that can put the puck in the net but you also need those guys that need and can commit to playing defensive hockey and you know we've seen that commitment this year from Elias Pettersson who's having an incredible year uh, and kind of quietly nationally at least i don't think he's getting anywhere near the recognition he deserves on a national level i think he's starting to but it's starting like only this past week i saw like lists of 10 people to consider for the heart trophy and i saw Pedersen as one of them and for me that was a big deal like i i thought i could always see pd as selkie but uh to see him getting thoughts as well for Hart, so i think maybe a little but yeah I, I i get what you're saying yeah and so just his commitment to wanting to be a more complete player and commitment to play a two-way game and getting more and more pk minutes i think is great and it's you're, you're seeing his evolution and growth as a player and i think and i hope that we'll see that from guys like jt miller and even Bo Horvat, you know, who Horvat's having an incredible year, but he still has some glaring flaws with his two-way game. And just seeing the way Petey's committed to that and, you know, back checks so hard. And 
I, I just I hope you know that's inspiring some of the guys in the dressing room to start committing a little bit more on the defensive side of things. I've actually become more okay with the McKayev contract with just how he's playing. As you mentioned, he's pacing for mid-20s in goals. Jeez, I would take that in a heartbeat. $4.75 million contract. Uh, again, maybe the term is a little long, but McKayev is really... I find that as the season's gone on, he's really started to impress me defensively. Great forechecker, which is something I knew uh, that he was, but it's it's great to see that uh, and and the speed that he brings. And he seems to whatever line he's on because he gets juggled around. He didn't play on PD's line last game, but he still makes that line better. Yeah, and the other thing with Bikayev, he's actually a pretty big guy. Like I, I was actually yes. like I knew he was he had some size, but. You know, I've seen, I think, three Canucks games in person this year, and I'm kind of blown away actually how big of a body and a big of a presence he is on the ice. Um, you know, he's not the most physical player, but, you know, having that reach and that size definitely helps with the board battles and on the forecheck. Like you said, Pete, you know, he's a, he's a great forechecker. And, uh, you know, the contract, you can debate the contract, you know, especially with wingers right now. Wingers across the league seem to be kind of low value as far as, you know, what you're paying them and what you're getting back. I mean, right now there's tons of speculation about Brock Besser and his contract, Connor Garland's contract. Obviously, Mikheyev falls into that. Wingers as a whole just seem to have less value. But right now, Mikheyev is playing really, really well. I mean, he's definitely playing better than Connor Garland or Brock Besser are. Yeah. And it's... it's it's nice to see. And the fact that he gives you that two-way game as well, I mean, it's something this team really needs right now. Yeah, and uh, of course, Garland and Besser both make more than him, which is, again, why we keep hearing them in trade rumors. Um, While we're on the hype train, let's talk about Dakota Joshua as well. This is a guy who is signed a two-year deal with a cap hit of 825000 26 years old, currently playing well above that value. Um, and last game uh, against San Jose is maybe his best game as a Canuck. He got robbed of the hat trick, got in a fight. Uh, I was jokingly on Twitter calling it the Ed Jovanovsky hat trick because he was also drawing penalties. Um, this seems to be a real found money player. And I, I know we've talked a bit about the bottom six in how I actually think that the bottom six has been pretty good. I think Curtis Lazar has been good since he came back from injury and is also at a manageable cap hit. Niels Amon, we know, has been a bit of a revelation. Uh, Niels Hoglander as well is all of a sudden starting to play with a lot more two-way step in his game. He's playing defensive hockey. Uh, Sheldon Dries has been uh, pretty good. Jack Stanika, I'm still not quite sure about what, what we got there. Um, a little more more time. But um, Dakota Joshua really in the, uh, has been just as the season's gone on, this is a guy who's a really versatile player, and I could see him getting juggled a little bit out of that fourth-line role in certain game situations if he keeps playing the way he does. Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning of the year, he started off a little bit slow. Very. But his game, his game has gotten you know better and better as the season's pro- progressed. And like you said, he's found money. And a guy that, outside of... Luke Shen, he's one of the few guys that actually sticks up for his teammates and will drop the gloves, which, you know, and again, not trying to condone fighting, but you do need your teammates to step up for you if there's a cheap shot or a hit from behind or someone takes a run at one of your rookies. And Joshua has shown early on in his Canuck career, he's willing to drop the mitts and stick up for his teammates, which this team has lacked for a long time. And he's starting to find the back of the net. He's starting to 
score goals, which is great. I mean, he's got more goals than both Connor Garland and Brock Besser. Who saw that coming? No kidding. Hey, hey, speaking of Brock, I mean, it was it was a tough week for Brock in some ways. Uh, he was going to be a healthy scratch for the first time, I think, since his rookie year. Uh, and then the last minute he got put into the lineup due to, due to another player being unable to play. Um, that was Dakota Joshua, by the way. Right, so it, it was Dakota Joshua. Uh, I was trying to remember who it was there, but uh, brain fart. And then, of course, uh, he scores in that game as, as well. And uh, it's... He's he's had a he's he's a tough player to figure out. Like you look at his stats line and you're like, "Oh, it's actually not too bad." But it's it's tough right now to really see a, a future with uh Besser for myself with with this team. I mean, you need trade chips, right? And he's got 16 points in 21 games. I feel that that's kind of quiet, and that's exactly what Mikheyev has, but Mikheyev has twice as many goals as as Brock Besser and has played three more games. I what, what, do you think Besser makes it to the start of next season as a Canuck? Well, I think there's a couple of things we need to unpack here. Uh, I think one of the reasons why there was a lot of backlash about Boudreaux wanting to sit Besser that particular game, it was the ho- hockey fights cancer game. And obviously, you know, Besser lost his father in the offseason. Duke, who had a battle, you know, with cancer al- along with Parkinson's. Um, so that game meant a lot to him and, you know, Boudreaux, I don't think, and he's already said it publicly. I don't think he knew or realized that that game that he was wanting to sit Brock was the hockey fights cancer game. And obviously how much it meant to Brock. Um, it was awesome that Brock scored a goal. Obviously it was a very heartfelt moment. Reports came out soon after that game that Brock's agent has been given permission to try and seek a trade. Uh, I think there was a report this morning that apparently his agent had talked to six different teams. Uh, Most of the teams are very interested in Brock services, but the issue is they just are too cap strapped. They don't have the money to take on Brock's contract and the Canucks seemingly are unwilling to retain any salary on Brock's contract if they are trading him. Um, I've said it to you, know, on this podcast before that Brock's probably my favorite player. He just, he seems like such a good, genuine guy. You know, he's, I want him to be successful. I think all Canucks fans want him to be successful, but right now he just, he has no confidence. He has no confidence in his game. Brock is a goal scorer. He has an incredible shot and I know he had wrist surgery this year and maybe that's what's holding him back. But he's not taking that shot, that incredible wrist shot or snapshot, whatever you want to call it. He's not He's not shooting nearly enough. He's always looking for an extra pass. And that's not his game. And to me, that just goes to show that he's got s- such low confidence right now in his game. He's, you know, he's played better since the whole benching fiasco almost happened but didn't happen. But he is still, for whatever reason, just has such low confidence and maybe a change of scenery would be good. Personally, I would rather the Canucks try to offload Garland. Garland, and again, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. He's played better the last couple of games, but he just generally seems so disinterested. He, you very rarely see him talking to his teammates. Uh, I, I forget who the reporter was. Maybe it was Jeff Patterson asked him a question about something. It was like a fun question. And Garland's just like, I've got nothing for you. It's just like, he yeah. just he seems like one of those guys that just doesn't want to be here. 
Yeah, and you know, like uh, I've noticed, he's gone. Garland is back to taking the uh, the sharp angle shots as well, which he was doing last year, which is generally a sign of a guy who's maybe not fully checked in. Hey, those four players we talked about: Mikheyev, Joshua, Besser, Garland, in that order, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth on the team in goals, uh, which is kind of interesting. I don't think we would any of us would have had it in that order. Certainly, Mikheyev and Joshua ahead of Besser and Garland right now. Thing with Brock Besser, he's a team worst minus 13. Now I know plus minus again subjective, but he's minus 13 and the next closest players are minus 9 and that's OEL, JT and Tanner Pearson. Um so you know that's obviously a big concern uh, and and we've seen that with Brock is his defensive game. Um but I do think right now I, I'm with you Connor Garland would be the first one I'd go for but um I I think it's going to be tough for Garland and Besser to to well you, you never know, right? I mean, we, we've been waiting for Trader Jim, and we've just seen a lot of kind of stuff around the edges. But it's, it's again, right now the Canucks are kind of in that middle spot again, right? They're close to the playoffs, but they're not in the playoffs. It's that old familiar spot. So I, I don't know how big a trade. But And you're right about salary, right? Either way, like Garland's just under five, Besser's around six and a half. That's tough money to move without taking money back. Uh, so... Uh, it's tough to do that in season or at least at this part of the season. Um, also uh, on the forward train, um, JT Miller, you know, I just mentioned how he was uh, tied for second worst plus minus on the team at minus nine. Uh, he's still got 26 points in 27 games. Um, I'll, I'll go first with uh, JT third on the team in scoring. That's, that's great. You know, he's still offensively, he's putting up numbers. He's pacing for about 75, 80 points this year. That's pretty good. Um, it's his defensive game and those, uh, every game he seems to just make a ridiculous pass. And that's what is driving this fan base nuts and calling for trade, trade, trade. And again, remember folks, he's got a no trade clause that kicks in on his new deal. So if you're going to trade him, it's got to be before that. I just don't see it happening myself. I like JT Miller. I don't like his defensive game right now. I think going back to all the way back to what Brendan was saying, I think JT Miller could be a guy that would really benefit from structure and a bit more of a defensive minded coach. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Miller produces on the offensive side and a lot of those passes you see him, like you said, you know, it's two, three times a game, but when the, those passes work, they lead to goals nine times out of 10 when they actually get through and they work. It's just, the nine or 10 times he misses those passes, it leads to goals going the other way, which sucks. I know Miller, and this was, you know, maybe not a fair comparison because he was still a rookie or at least, a you know, one or two years in the league. But when he was playing in New York under Elaine Vigneault, former Canuck, one of the reasons why he was healthy scratched and, you know, eventually got sent down to the AHL was because of his lack of commitment to the defensive side of the game and you would think and you would hope being a little bit older and a little bit more mature that if he had the right coach come in and try to get him to commit a little bit more to playing defensively that he could grow and become a better two-way player and that is always going to be the biggest criticism of Miller that also the fact that Horvat is having such a good year especially with the goal totals and this management group decided to commit to Miller before Horvat, a lot of people are going to point at Miller as if it's his fault that the management group decided to give him the money before Horvat. 
Yeah, Canucks fans can be uh, pretty ruthless uh, at times, uh, I find. And uh, I think Miller, while he certainly deserves criticism for his defensive game, uh, 100% does. I think uh, uh, the Canucks fans love to make scapegoats out of players because they're either acquired by certain people or it's just a move that they've never liked. And uh, I encourage all Canucks fans, take the blinders off, look at the player. Hey, you can criticize Miller. That's fair. I think he's a guy, though, that maybe gets a bit too much of an unfair rap because of the deal and because he was acquired by Benning. But um, I still personally, I'm a fan of Miller. I just really wish he would sometimes think before making a blind pass or just even better, cut out the blind passes all together. Um, Doug, we've uh, we've gone a bit long here, but I still want to touch on the blue line and goaltending here. So let's just quickly switch to the blue line here. Um, Canucks blue line has been a bit of a strange spot. Tucker Pullman, we may not see again. Travis Dermott's getting close, uh, which is going to make things interesting, especially now that Ethan Bear is really kind of solidifying himself into uh, a top four or five role. Um, one thing that's irking a lot of Canucks fans and is kind of irking me too, uh, the continued use of Riley Stillman in there. Uh, I'd much rather have Kyle Burroughs myself. I think Kyle Burroughs' game has been a lot better. Uh, Jack Rathbone's obviously down in the minors now, so he's out of the equation. Uh, Doug, Stillman or Burroughs, who is it for you? Oh, I mean, it's easy. It's it's Burroughs, without a question. Stillman... Has played a little bit better. I know he had a couple assists. Uh, I don't think it was the game against San Jose, but it was the game against the Canadians. But uh, yeah, I don't know why Boudreaux keeps playing Stillman over Burroughs. Burroughs, and again, I mentioned this about Dakota Joshua. Burroughs is the other guy, along with Luke Shen, that sticks up for teammates, plays a physical game, is good defensively, and I believe he's second on the team for goals from defensemen this year. I believe he's got three goals on the year. Two. Maybe two. Uh, okay. But still, that's uh, for Canucks defenseman. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, and uh, again, I, I the the Stillman thing still que- I still boggles my mind, and I hope it's not strictly because Stillman is a left shot defenseman and Burroughs plays the right side, and you know you got to have three left and three right. I I really hope that's not what it is because that one game, and I know it was the game you and I were at against the Washington Capitals. I thought. Burroughs, despite the Canucks losing 5-1, I thought Burroughs equated himself pretty well playing his offside. Yeah, I, I agree. And and Burroughs uh, is tied with Ethan Bear and Luke Shin for the team league team lead, sorry, in defenseman goals. All of them have two. Um another interesting thing, just kind of looking at uh some of the usage, and this is something that I find a little strange and maybe it's situational, but you know, Stillman has played 15 games and Burroughs 14 games. Burroughs is averaging just under three minutes more of ice time. So that to me, like Burroughs is just above 18 and Stillman's just above 15, but that's still also like, it, it sounds like you trust Burroughs more then, but why is that not reflecting? He's also getting uh, more penalty killing time per game as well. Like uh, averaging, getting close to two minutes a game and Stillman just over a minute. So, and again, that also depends on how many penalties there are in a game, but it feels like Boudreau uses Burroughs more when he's on the bench as opposed to Stillman. So it is a, a little baffling. I know a lot of Canucks fans feel the same way. Um, Riley Stillman, you know, I, I think he's, I think he's one of those guys that Canucks fans are liking to turn on a bit. He still does some good things out there, but I just think overall, 
Kyle Burroughs is being the better player this year. I would like to see Burroughs in. And again, when Dermot comes back, it's going to get even more of a log jam out there. So uh, um, again, it'll be interesting to see how this goes forward. But for me, Kyle Burroughs uh, over Riley Stillman. Yeah, again, and you know, like you said, when Dermot comes back, it's going to be interesting to see what happens then. Uh, they're definitely going to have a logjam of defensemen. Um, I don't know, it's weird. You know, Boudreaux's clearly coaching for his life right now. You know, it seems like every game the Canucks are almost going to lose could be the game that Boudreaux gets fired at the end of, but somehow they found a way to come back and win it in overtime. Montreal, San Jose, those two games especially I just looking at the way both these two defensemen have played Burroughs and Stillman I don't see how Boudreaux can come to the conclusion that Stillman gives him a better chance to win than Burroughs does yeah, we're on uh, we're on the same page uh, with that one then. So let's hope we get to see him. Uh, lastly, moving to the crease, of course, one of the big stories this week, which we touched on way back in uh, the game flight. Thatcher Demko, uh, he's going to be out for a little while now. Demko was having a rough year, as we know, um, but still, this now puts a, a lot more pressure on Spencer Martin, who's having an okay year. Colin Delia has already been called into action. Uh, a Martin-Delia tandem doesn't really sound like something a lot of teams are going to be afraid of. Um, I, I feel like it sounds like Demko has had some nagging things, and this was an aggravation of it. And uh, and we knew that it, it, was, it, it didn't look good when it happened. Um, and that was the first game all season where the Canucks actually replaced a goalie mid-game, and they've done it since then in that spectacular affair against Montreal. Um but, geez, you know, this is uh, – with the Canucks with injuries to the blue line and and the, and now their starter, I mean, that certainly doesn't help the, the need for the team to play better defensively. No, and look, obviously this is devastating news for Demko and the Canucks. Demko did have a procedure in the offseason. Uh, there was very little to no details about what that procedure was, whether it was a knee drain or a hip whatever it was, but he did have some kind of procedure in the offseason. And you wonder, if, you know, the slow start and essentially what led to his, I think he's out four to six weeks is what the time frame was that was given for him. I think closer to six than four. Um, you wonder if, you know, that procedure and just never really getting fully healed from whatever it was he had led to the slow start and the injury. Um, Spencer Martin has been getting the results as far as his record goes, but if you look at his stats, you know, he's, and again, you know, you could make this argument against, you know, probably 70% of the goalies in the NHL right now, but his stats haven't been great. And I think this puts a ton more pressure on Spencer Martin and to his credit, you know, so far he's been playing admirably. Um, but Long term, you know, is this team going to be able to sustain this style of play for the next five weeks? I don't think so. And I think that's where this management group needs to really make some hard decisions and actually put some proper expectations on what this season is going to be. Because if you don't have your goalie for the next five weeks, let's say he's been out at least one week, so for five weeks from now, and you're going to have to rely on a tandem of Spencer Martin and Colin Delia. That's, you know, some the levy's going to break at some point here. And I think you want to be ahead of it. 
as opposed to, oh, we're close, we're close. And then watching free agents, you know, like obviously a Bo Horvat or a Luke Shen. And I know there's been a lot of talk about whether or not the Canucks should trade a guy like Luke Shen. But I think you should. He's an unrestricted free agent, and I think he could get a really good return, whether that's a second-round draft pick or a third-round draft pick. We need prospects. Every position in the organization, we need a prospect right now. Um, but yeah, I hope Demko gets healthy. I hope he doesn't feel rushed or the team doesn't rush him back, and he takes his time in his recovery, and he comes back when he is 110% ready. Four of the last five Canucks games, the Canucks have allowed five or more goals. Um, That's not a recipe for success. Now, hey, they've they've gone three and two out of those, which, again, is the run and gun offense. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's a lot of pressure on Martin. It it hurts the team not having Demko. Obviously, even though he hasn't been playing great, but let's just really hope he can get back to form. And yeah, I'm with you on Luke Shen. I think you could get a. He's the type of player, good cap hit, exactly what playoff teams want. Great defenseman. But we've seen this before with uh, Canucks defensemen not getting traded at the deadline. Um, uh, anyone, if the Canucks aren't in a playoff spot, anyone who's UFA, which basically is Horvat and Shen, if they're not signed, they got to get traded. Like, you you got to do that because uh, the Canucks prospect pool is one of the worst prospect pools in the league right now. Yeah. Again, Dan Hamuse comes to mind. Ryan Miller comes to mind. Obviously, he was a goaltender, not a defenseman, but you can't miss out on the opportunities to trade pending UFAs for some kind of potential prospect or return. You just can't. This this team and this organization doesn't have the depth currently to do that. Except, I will say that uh, it's a good time to mention that we do have two Canucks uh, on Team Sweden uh, for the World Juniors is we see LeCaramaki and uh, uh, Repeaty both making the team. So that's, that's something at least. Yeah, and you know what? Lakaramaki's definitely struggling this year. Unfortunately, maybe it's partly because of injuries. But Rapidi has been playing really well. And by all accounts, it sounds like... I know it seemed like it was a bit of a meme pick at the time. You know, the Canucks drafted another Elias Pettersson. This one plays defense, though. But he actually seems to be playing really, really well. And I think a lot of people are surprised by, you know, how much he's developing in Sweden right now. And I believe he had his first goal in the SEHL today, or maybe it was last night, uh, but he scored his first goal in the Swedish league, which is amazing. And he looks like he's a potential NHL player. I don't know if that's in two years, three years, four years from now, but it looks like a real pick there. The teams that had two Greg Adams to two Elias Pettersons. What are, what are the odds? Hey man. Uh, it's it's it, it it makes sense being a Canucks fan that something like this would happen twice. <laughs> yeah, it's Canucks are a strange team to follow, aren't they? They, man, it's a, it's a weird ride being in in this fan base. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't think I could do a podcast on another team. It just I don't. It wouldn't be as entertaining or as dramatic as what it is being a Canucks fan. There's always something, and the fans are just, uh, they're so emotional. Like, the, the fans here, they're, they're emotional, they're, they're divisive, they're, uh, they're, they're very knowledgeable, and they're, they're very opinionated, and we all have these platforms where we all get together and just battle. And at the end of the day, you sometimes have to look up and be like, wait, we all cheer for the same team, right? Uh, oh, yeah, that's how we met each other, but we hate each other. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> like, it's just, it's a fan base 
unlike any other. Um, with that, Doug, let's uh, go into the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I just wanted to talk about fantasy football. Um, Pete, and I, you and I have been in the league for 10 years now. This is our 10th year in the league. And this is the last, at least for our league settings, this is the last week before the fantasy uh, playoffs start. And I've made the playoffs. Pete, you've got to buy the first week, so congratulations to you and your team. Uh, well done. Uh, your boy Josh Jacobs just fumbled the ball, but hey, this game this week doesn't matter to you. But just how fun fantasy football is. And, you know, there's a couple of guys in our league who didn't know anything about football when they first joined. They didn't care about football. And since joining the league, they have become incredibly knowledgeable and fanatical football fans and that's what I love about fantasy football plus winning a championship is always a nice cherry on top yeah man uh it looks like I think Jacobs was down before he fumbled but he looks a little banged up so that's even more concerning for me but uh here's hoping um for me I was going to touch a little bit more on my trip to LA um it was just it was really nice to be back in the states and travel I was I always enjoyed traveling in the states I mean I know they're, they're a weird place on a lot of levels but it's also an amazing country just to, to travel in there's so many different cities that are so different and I've spent a lot of time in LA and it's not a place I've always I guess enjoyed but I really enjoyed myself this time I just went down and I was like I'm gonna make sure every minute counts you know I was barely in my room the whole time like uh, you know did some really big walks discovered some new bars discovered some new breweries just just really took in the city LA if you haven't been to LA like I think it's a place you got to see it's really important where you stay um, I, I always stay near the beaches Venice and Santa Monica um, but it's it's such an interesting strange city um, but uh, it's I don't know I'd re- just this time man I, I think because the Seahawks game certainly helped but I uh, just packed a lot in and it was just great to do one of those little weekends away you know where it's not Victoria yeah, I love Victoria but I always go there uh, go away for three nights and uh, just make a weekend out of it so certainly something I'm gonna put out some price alerts for uh, for other cities and hopefully get to do another fun weekend away down in the States thanks for tuning in folks episode 129 just about in the books um and doug uh in mostly in the world of sports right now the big thing going on of course is the world cup and starting tomorrow but just before we uh well we should get this episode just in before the final eight teams will start going at it. Uh, Doug, give me some predictions. Who's going to win these these four games here? I think Argentina beats the Netherlands. Um, I'm going to go with England over France, even though that's going to be a tough one. Uh, I definitely think that's going to be the game that most people are going to be interested in watching. Uh, is it Portugal-Croatia? Portugal-Morocco. Morocco. So I think Portugal takes that one, and then it's Croatia versus Brazil. 
Brazil. Well, I think Brazil. I, I, I think Brazil has looked like the best team. Probably, not probably, has been the best team so far in the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, that's those are my predictions. England, Argentina, Brazil, Portugal. Kind of boring, although the France-England one, I think most people think that's 50-50. I actually think most people would probably pick France over England. Yeah. But I'm going to go with England. I think it's a better story, and I think it'll... There'll be much more theater and drama if England can get into the uh, semifinals. I think France has looked good, but I'm going with England as well, picking with my heart uh, in that one. Uh, I'm going to take Portugal over Morocco as well. Brazil, Croatia, man. Uh, Brazil is a way of kind of blundering some things as of late. Uh, Croatia's looked good, but I'm still going to go with Brazil, but I think it'll be pretty tight. So I'm going to go with the Dutch over uh, Argentina. Again, kind of picking with my heart a bit. Uh, I think the Dutch have looked pretty good. Uh, so I'm going with the Dutch, but I mean, that's going to be a fun couple days. Uh, I'll, i got to work tomorrow, but I'll have the TVs on at work. And then Saturday, man, I cannot wait to, to watch that slate of games. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and again, to be fair, I want the Dutch to beat Argentina. I just don't think they will. Fair enough. I'm, I'm picking with my heart. Um, but yeah, it's going to be... It's gonna be a blast um also follow us online once again i'm at pete underscore gas on twitter and do check out our playlist on spotify the connect speakeasy outro playlist all the tracks get added on to there be sure to give me a follow on twitter at doug venn follow the podcast on twitter at canuck speak as always thanks for listening Hasta luego.